Welcome. You're listening to the Sagi of Anne Furthermore. Haikus for keyboard, left hand only. Excesses are free. Wasted weavers, wet fevers, QWERTY fears, readers. We see creased faces, westward water averted, stare at crested wave. Arrested ward ran, wasted a rad fast race car. Crew fretted, were sad. Crazed execs, wed cred. Execs, few cares were tweeted. Worn sewer rats free. Just saying, six months is a long time to type with only my left hand. I think I miss having more vowels the most. Vowels and my heart. Yep, you knew it. I knew it. We all knew it was coming. Heartless. They put a metronome in my chest cavity. Kids, don't forget to floss. So I wouldn't miss it. Good idea. But they set the damn thing at 61 beats per minute, which is an appropriate resting pulse, but completely useless to me as a musician. 61? Is that even a marking? Why not 60 or 63? Why not ask me, for heaven's sake? I'm going to say this right now. For anyone with an earshot of my voice, let it be known that it is my express wish that the metronome to be played at my funeral be set at 48 for the following reasons. Not that I need to have any reasons. 48 is a beautiful tempo in and of itself. Consider this. Twice 48 is 96, right? Enough said. But I'm going to say more. Anyway, it can be subdivided by 1, 2, 3, 4, 6, 8, 12, 16, and 24. These numbers are, for all purposes, Northern European Western classical music. Come on, people. Work with me. 61 is a prime number. Prime? Really? Is it really prime rib if you can't cut it into smaller pieces? Prime real estate? Not if you can't subdivide. Now you see why 61 beats per minute is for all purposes an insult. Prime number my ass, while I still have it, you artless, shapeless disturbers of my peace. 61 is not a metronome setting. It is a metronome upsetting. But you know what? Instead of flying into a rage at the thought of marching to this bogus, lopsided drummer for six months, I just kind of feel like, okay, and maybe like, I don't need to throw things. I even asked the families without borders to tell me the story of the person who is going to borrow my heart. I won't go into the D's. It's a heartbreaking story. They need to have a heart while theirs is healing. And I am happy they can use mine. There isn't room in their chest cavity. Kids, remember to brush twice, and especially before bedtime. So they are going to put my heart in an outside pocket on a shirt sleeve made from iron, which is wrinkle-free, and tied up with strings. I feel connected to this person whom I haven't met yet. I imagine my heart feels warm to their arm. Why? Why all these lovey feelings? I feel different, of course, increasingly empty and hollow inside. It's strangely kinder. called Greybeard to tell him my ducks were clear to go and asked him about the kindness genius like what was that humming he said what what do you mean humming I said the kindness genius was humming something about Danish butter Greybeard connoisseur of butter said lure pack the silver wrapper with the blue lettering salted I said yes it was so wonderful Greybeard said but humming how did you know it was about butter if there were no words I said I don't know I have no idea Greybeard said I think you were hearing things I have never heard the kindness genius hum that's not a kindness genius thing. I said, well, what is the kindness genius thing? And Greybeard said, well, 
now that I think about it, I'm not sure it has a thing. I can't actually remember what we've heard coming from the corner office with the floor-to-ceiling window overlooking the universe. I'd be interested to know, actually. I asked him if he could subpoena the tapes so we could listen to them together, and he said, I've got a pack of honey-roasted subpoenas right here. I'll go get them. So Greybeard and I listened in on the phone calls coming out of the kindness genius's corner office, including mine. There is nothing on the tapes. No humming, no soothing voice, nothing. Nothing but the callers sounding stressed, then less stressed, sometimes crying and blubbering. Okay, that was me. And then laughing, and this like so relaxed, chill laugh. Some of the callers mentioned their image of something, their personal equivalent of Lurpak imported Danish butter, I assume, ranging from other highly caloric and heavily salted foodstuffs to quiet streams in remote corners of national parks to flannel sheets that are so worn and soft that there is a high probability they will come apart in the next washing of them to puppy teeth nibbling playfully on the caller's hands, to the lighting of candles on a birthday cake that was made for them by a loved one, to the feeling of being safe, safer, safer still, safest, safe, safe, and accepted, to plunging one's hands in up to the elbows in a bucket of dry split peas at the Turkish market. There were hundreds of callers, and each had heard, seen, smelled, felt, tasted something different. It was crazy. There was no rhyme or reason. That's not true. One caller commented on hearing both rhymes and reasons, resulting in the sensation of perfect order and peace in the universe, while knowing, and laughing, that peace and order was impossible. But how wonderful to see the faces of your hiking buddies in the warm orange-slash-yellow light of a campfire and feel the stiffness in your legs from overexertion. I recognize the voice of a caller in one of the calls, and while these tapes are, of course, confidential, probably not the best idea for someone on probation to be fussing with, because of the content of this person's reactions, I knew for sure it was my brother, with whom I speak freely, especially without my frontal lobe, which I am beginning to think is overrated. So I called my brother and said, when you talk to the kindness genius, what did it say? And my brother said, say? I didn't hear the kindness genius say anything. What do you mean? I said, you know, the humming. Do you remember the humming? And I hummed him a few bars. He said, as soon as I got on the phone with the kindness genius, the phone turned into silly putty in my hand. I said, the pink stuff that came in that little plastic egg thing? And my brother said, yes. And I looked at it and had the reverse image of a Doonesbury cartoon on it from us pressing it onto the comic page of the newspaper, remember? I smiled, yeah, I remember. And he said, then I had the taste of dry Cheerios in my mouth and a stickiness in my hair from riding in the back of the Ford Falcon station wagon with the seats put down, rolling around with my sisters while the hot air from the desert blew in through the windows. I started crying. John said, are you crying right now? And I said, yes, but in a good way. I feel really good. And I remember that same stickiness in your hair. John said, what was it? And I said, it was a Jolly Rancher, sour apple. Michelle put it in your hair. And John started kind of crying a little bit and said, to remember that stickiness was once a good thing. It makes me hopeful again. I said, we tried to get it out using peanut butter. John said, isn't that how we used to get the gum out of our hair? And I said, yes. That's what gave us the idea. Actually, Marie gave us the idea. Mom said you just need water for Jolly Ranchers because they're all sugar, and sugar dissolves. But after the peanut butter, we needed to wash your hair with shampoo anyway. Then John and I started chuckling, and then laughing. I said, do you think the kindness genius is memories? And John said, no. I've talked to some other people, and one of them said they fell into a sound and dreamless sleep as soon as the genius picked up, and they napped asleep in the fetal position with their back facing the rest of humanity for a few hours 
and when they woke up, there was their phone, which they put to their ear just in time to hear a click. And another person said there was just the smell of fresh-baked bread coming through the phone, and their clothes both loosened and thickened at the same time that they turned into an anti-gravity suit, and up they floated into the room, gently out the window, and into the night sky. I said, what the hell? Do you have the direct number? John said, no. Someone from the Silent Cry for Help hotline has to transfer you. I said, that's probably a good thing. John said, no, duh. And no one I know has ever talked to the kindness genius more than once. I said, well, that kind of makes sense. It's an idea, right? The kindness genius is the idea of kindness, acceptance, okayness. John said, I don't think so. The kindness genius, in my experience, is a soft place in myself that was always there. I just didn't know how to get there. But my other theory is that the kindness genius is one of the X-Men, a mutant empath whose superpower is kindness. Did you know you can kill someone with kindness? And he works the hotline to keep his skills up when he's not out making the emotional world safe for humanity. I said, like Wolverine? And John said, that's the worst possible example you could have come up with. Of all the mutants, Wolverine is the absolute least similar in terms of experience, skill set, mindset, or ability. I said, yeah, but Hugh Jackman? John said, this conversation is over. I said, sorry, just relax. And John said, how can you even joke like that about the X-Men? It's not just a franchise, Anne. The X-Men are, 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 I said, John, I'm sorry. I know that is sacred ground. I shouldn't have joked about it. My brother's breathing slowed back down and we started to laugh again. The Furthermore Sagi is created, written, and performed by Anne Ellsworth and produced and edited by Jonah Sharp. That's me. Thanks for listening, and tune in next week.